0: All right, have you ever felt specially chosen for a task? Like there was something that you were chosen to do and only you could do it. No. <laughs> really?
1: No. <laughs> what about you?
0: Um, okay, well maybe. There's just this one time. There was one time. Um, okay, so I was at a bachelorette party and um it wasn't one of those like wild kind of fun movie type bachelorette <laughs> parties. It was one of those Like a
1: sad bachelorette party.
0: Yeah, it was it was like a <laughs> Pinterest bachelorette party like Oh, I see. the woman who planned it made the whole party about her and not about the bride mm. and it was supposed to be like a really Classy, fancy bachelorette party, Mm -hmm. and everyone was supposed to bring snacks. And um, I knew that the person who was planning it would want like Pinterest ready snacks. Like little
1: shrimps and little sushi pieces and stuff. Yeah,
0: that were like made in the shape of a butterfly or something, you know, like that. So, of course, I went to the store and bought something that looked like that because I could never make it on my own. Mm -hmm. But there was this one woman who came and she brought what you would normally bring to one of these. Um, like a fun bachelor at party, which was like this huge bag of Cheetos.
1: Cheetos, yeah.
0: And it was—it seemed very lowbrow for the party. I see. Um, and I could tell that the woman who brought the the Cheetos, like she was embarrassed. Okay,
1: about it. so so about the thing about that you were chosen to do and oh, only you could okay, do. Right.
0: So this—that's when I knew. Like this was the moment that I was made for. Like I was the chosen one because. um like in that moment, it, I just knew that nobody but me could save the day. So I went across the room and I was like, finally, someone brought the Cheetos. And I opened the bag. I ate like half of it. That was my moment.
1: To declare, finally, someone brought the Cheetos mm-hmm. and to eat the Cheetos. Yep. This is Weird Religion, a podcast for people who know religion is weird, but love it anyway.
0: I'm your host, Leah Payne. I'm a professor, historian, author, and today my favorite Buffy episode, besides once more with feeling, because that is everyone's favorite, is Buffy versus Dracula.
1: (laughs) I'm your host, Brian Doak. I'm an author, professor, biblical scholar, and I regret that I was never involved in a paranormal romance when I was in high school.
0: Sad for you. (laughs) Today we are getting into Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Buffyverse.
1: We'll quiz Leah, the Buffy expert, on how well the Buffy theatrical style fits within the sensibilities of camp and campiness.
0: And we'll talk about gender in Buffy, the meaning of the vampire, and which character Brian was when he took a Buffy quiz.
1: (laughs) And we reflect on what it's like to think about Buffy in the era of high school violence and school shootings. Join us. Join us. Yeah, that feeling of being chosen. Like you have a task only you can do. That's really special. It's almost like what what Christians would call the anointing.
0: That's exactly right. You get anointed
1: in this moment. Like the anointing is upon you.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, that's in the very opening script of almost every Buffy episode, except for the one that you saw. I think, actually, fair disclosure,
1: talks- fair disclosure, listeners. I've seen one episode. of
0: Bucky. Yes, I'm actually really <laughs> excited about this conversation because Brian has seen the pilot. I've like,
1: seen the pilot in in a watch party on Facebook, which our podcast oh hosted. Oh my gosh, which was kind so of a weird fun. environment. That was that was fun. We should do that again.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and but most episodes start with a little script about in every generation. I think it's it's well, actually, no, maybe it's not. Maybe it's just in the season in season one. Now, now, some super fan is going to email me about this.
1: No, that's what we need. We need the super fans. <laughs> but, Come on out!
0: But oh, you in every, the verse? Yeah, in every generation, mm-hmm. there is one young woman who is chosen. She is the anointed one
1: oh. to
0: fight the powers of darkness.
1: Oh, I see. namely
0: vampire. She's a vampire slayer,
1: right? Uh, Buffy the Vampire Hence Slayer. The title, the title, yeah, Vampire Slayer. Yeah, I like the title because you know right away what the show's about.
0: Yeah, there's no tricking you.
1: I don't. <laughs> I don't want.
0: I don't want tricks.
1: I've seen. Okay, actually, I've seen the pilot, but I've also seen a YouTube video of the top ten Buffy moments according uh, to that according YouTuber. According to
0: this person, yeah.
1: Your knowledge of the Buffy verse is too vast for you to really like meaningfully talk about this. Even you're just like you're 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 just like you're drowning in Buffy knowledge. Well, yeah, you just it, you know. But I'm
0: for Buffy super fans, It's like you have this very <laughs> this is gonna sound so silly, but you have a pretty intense emotional connection to it. So I, I can't be objective. So I'm yeah. really glad that we're- I can
1: already tell from the pilot, though. Why though? Because of just its quirkiness and
0: yes, it's funny.
1: I've heard. I have heard sources say that in fact, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is the most cited pop culture source in in like religious studies. <laughs> sources, Profe-
0: I told you that professional <laughs> religious <laughs> Like studies. ten minutes ago. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe it's true. Maybe
1: I knew that. It's um, true. Yeah. Why? You why, why that. do you? Why, why do you think it's gotten such such so much so much play and scholarship?
0: Well, I think one reason it's very well written and uh a a like one of the things okay so the very opening scene of the pilot I think tells you a lot about why scholars of religion have been interested in it for a really long time mm-hmm. which is for those of you who can't remember or who've never seen Buffy the very opening scene there are two teenagers or not teenagers maybe like people a few years after high school who sneak into a high school mm-hmm. and that you think that they're there to make out and it's a young man and a young woman and um, the whole time According to horror convention, Mm -hmm. this young woman is going to be attacked by this young man or somebody else, right? Like the whole time you're thinking that's going to happen and she's acting all scared. Because
1: the horror thing is like, if you're a woman, never be alone Mm -hmm. and don't, you know, because it's like during these kind of sexualized moments that women, you know, lose their kind of innocence and then become victims.
0: Exactly. And she's blonde and white woman, very sweet voice. Mm -hmm. And then at the very last second, the script is flipped and she's the vampire she turns into a vampire and she attacks this young boy and oh. that like sets off the entire episode right. so flipping that gender script um i think is one of that little moment explains why scholars have been so into it and then also i think like religion and pop culture studies have been popularized by people who grew up watching that show right. you know so right, it was right, kind right, of an right, iconic right. show of my young adulthood
1: so that's but that's been one key I mean that's one key aspect of the show that people have have, have looked to namely its empowerment of female characters mm-hmm. as as is that something that that goes through all all seven seasons this idea of like women in a in these power positions I guess Buffy's always Buffy
0: Yeah I mean there are like there are certain things that it, at the time it was super progressive 20 years ago so there are some things that um haven't held up as well like um and this is a spoiler alert but I'm assuming that most people who've watched the show are um, super fans I mean <laughs> most people who've watched the show and are super fans are the ones that are listening to this episode right
1: um, if you're not just join me join in, Brian, in my bewilderment at the Brian. Buffy phenomenon
0: Um, but so some there have been some criticisms of of um Buffy like the way that they handle women's issues so for example when Buffy has sex for the first time like things turn out really horribly for her so like oh. why is she being punished I did see
1: that I did see that that That's one part. of that
0: Got to be one of the top. I, so 10 on team. one of the
1: YouTube videos, the YouTube video I watched of the top ten moments, that was yeah. part of it. Yeah. When he becomes like his soul becomes. So the guy that she angel. first angel oh. that she's first with in yeah. the special moment, mm-hmm. his soul is like switched out or stolen or something, and then he like hates her.
0: Yeah. Afterward. Well, it's a long story, but he was basically cursed by gypsies um, as a punishment for uh, murdering uh, a, a young woman. And anyway, he's cursed with a soul. Mm. and um, unless he like the 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 way that his soul would be destroyed is if he ever experienced one moment of true happiness right so he has sex with Buffy
1: oh and that this was the moment this is the
0: moment of true happiness but she
1: does kill him later though right
0: oh yeah but that's not the full story <laughs> oh it's actually so sad <laughs> that was that also moment. one of the top but, 10 moments but so a feminist criticism this is a, I mean I'm sure somebody else has said it but this is my criticism mm-hmm. of this is like so that's interesting in, as far as Angel's story goes. But why is she being punished? Like Buffy's experience of it, though, is this is the first time a young woman has sex. Yeah, um, and then all of a sudden, this man turns into a monster, and that's what you get.
1: Well, isn't so this part of being the ano- is
0: like, come on. Now. Part
1: of being the anointed one, though, is you experience hardships. You know, it's not just yes. a, it's it, This is like a heroic journey as well.
0: She is definitely a hero. And back to your original point about the strong female character. Mm-hmm. I mean, there just aren't very many shows right now on TV with like this kind of lead that you know has such a heroic arc mm-hmm. to their story and is also a woman so, and there are other women yes.
1: too like there's this Willow character love Willow and there's Cordelia yeah.
0: I love Cordelia Yeah, Cordelia I
1: didn't like in the pilot right away but then I started to like her toward the end she's very funny yeah
0: yeah. That Cordelia has a great arc and her own sort of hero story um, she's the classic mean girl if you're not into the series I'll, um yeah uh, but cordelia is like the popular mean girl who somehow gets roped into yeah. this this crew
1: can i tell you about, can i tell you about my favorite scene from please the top 10 moments oh, i yeah, saw in yeah, yeah, the yeah. youtube video <laughs> yeah so we'll we'll post that top 10 moments video on the website yes. for those who want to see it but my okay my favorite scene was like and this is contextless like i have no idea what i'm watching okay there's like this big like He's like this big muscle-bound shirtless like demon guy with horns, and he's like uh-huh. standing in this like room and he's like, and there's like this fire and stuff, and he's like, Hey, what's that? And Buffy's got a rocket launcher, and she just like shoots him with a rocket <laughs> yeah. and blows him up. It was funny. It was actually just funny as a one off scene. Yeah. You know, just the way he's like, What's that?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, comes- I think that's another you bring up another reason why people love the show, which is that, um, a lot of times, shows that are about vampires are a little bit humorless. Um, see, for example, Twilight. Right? Like, mm-hmm. there's just not very much funny about the book or about the movie, unless you right. count Anna Kendrick's very underrated performance, in which I called her as a star. Way to then go! She, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, usually they're kind of like romantic and and or just really scary. But Joss Whedon's genius has been that he's also super funny Uh,
1: now on this on uh, on the show's style on its humor on its kind of like dialogue one thing one word that came to mind when I started watching the pilot for this show was the word camp for sure or campiness yep. but then I was like wait do I even really know what camp means like I think I sort of know what camp or campiness means as a style but yeah. do I really and I started looking around and I found out there's this famous essay by Susan Sontag Sontag mm-hmm. 1964 so it's old but it, I was reading it it sounds really I don't know it's just really well written not like 1964 is like in another era or something but sometimes you think oh an kind. older source maybe it's dated Mad Men no I'm yeah. sure that this source has held up throughout time oh, it's, I see it's this know. famous essay on camp I think it's it's called notes on notes on camp the mm-hmm. camp style and she says it's kind of hard to define what it is it's more like yeah it's it's more like a style not really so much like a like a genre exactly it's a kind of sensibility that's hard to define yeah. I thought I could put a couple of these. Points from her notes on camp to you, and for you to reflect on them in terms of Buffy. Fun, because they sounded like they definitely applied to me. Some of these, yeah. Okay, so for instance, like, and then she, so she starts the essay, but then she has a list. So like, I'll, I'll I'll cite them by number if anyone wants to go to the essay, which no one will want to do. We're,
0: we'll put a link on. We'll put a link.
1: On, we'll on link. This is our linking yep. on the website. Someone
0: episode. will want to do. Someone it. Someone
1: will do it. Okay, number two, to emphasize style is to slight content or to introduce an attitude which is neutral with respect to content. It goes without saying that the camp sensibility. is is disengaged depoliticized or at least apolitical and i thought okay wait is there content yeah there's this good versus evil battle but i thought in my watching of just the scenes and even the pilot it's like no it's not about that actually it's about like the teenagers and the dialogue and the jokes like and i know that the buffy people will say there's deeper content but Mm -hmm. i could see a reading of the show which is like no it's actually not about the content it's just about like it's about the jokes, basically. And it's about, you know, someone's face suddenly turns into that's another thing about the show that's so funny, like the face switching stuff.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so
1: scary, but it's like so ridiculous. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it's just so and the the visual effects are kind of bad. Maybe it seems more campy in retrospect than it actually was in that uh,
0: respect. I don't know. Because some of them are really like they seem deliberately s- cheesy. Um, because it's it's like a heightened mm. version of it. Okay. I I need to reflect on that for a moment. All right. I mean, one of the one of the common readings of Buffy is that the show is actually it's a metaphor for high school, mm-hmm. right? Like so most high schoolers think that high school is hell, but mm-hmm. Buffy's high school is on an actual hell mouth, right? Like so it takes everything like and amps it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Whether or not it is so wait, so the point is that it's depoliticizing?
1: Yeah, like it's not, you know, it's not to say you can't come up with meanings or whatever. Uh-huh. It's just the show, it's the material itself is but not political. the style
0: is, yeah, okay. Hmm, interesting. I can
1: pitch another one if you're still thinking. Yeah, okay. Okay, how about this one? Number 41 in the list. The oh whole, my gosh. The whole point of camp is to dethrone the serious. Camp is playful, anti-serious. More precisely, camp involves a new, more complex relation to the serious. Yes. One can be serious about the frivolous, frivolous about the serious.
0: Okay, yes. I definitely think that Buffy qualifies as camp in that way. Mm. Because there are certain characters that are objects of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- so for example, the character that I believe you tested as in the Buffy In the which quiz. Buffy character are yeah. you, quiz? Yeah, oh, Spike. Spike, Spike yeah. was my character. So Spike is definitely an object of fun. <laughs> yeah. Um he's like this punk um you know, who is it? Billy Idol. Yeah. He has like wannabe. this, he has
1: like this spiked bleach blonde hair, which uh-huh. I did, of course, in the nineties as a nineties <laughs> high school male. Maybe we who should was get a
0: picture a picture of, of my, Brian my, my yeah, next to Spike. That could
1: be a bridge too far for me, but maybe.
0: <laughs> so Spike is, is um, played for humor. He's, he's actually supposed to be one of the really big, scary vampires mm-hmm. um, who is dangerous, but also is, is very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Except for when he's not. And there are a few moments, some of the most poignant uh, moments in the series, because he's been played for humor for so long, it actually comes from Spike. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think that that qualifies as camp.
1: Okay, what about this one? Number 44. Camp proposes a comic vision of the world, but not a bitter or polemical comedy. If tragedy is an experience of hyper-involvement, Sontag's argument is that camp is the opposite of tragedy. Mm -hmm. If tragedy is an experience of hyper-involvement, comedy is an experience of under-involvement or detachment. But I saw yeah. these scenes in the top 10 where you had like characters that were dying and it was like you yeah. know, obviously you're sad to see a character die. So it's not like but I don't know.
0: Well, I sort of wonder if if there's like a, a certain percentage that uh, of humor and camp mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden I mean, I, I experience this as a teacher and I'm sure you do too. Like humor is one of the best ways to have people emotionally open up to you. Mm-hmm. And so if people are laughing with you, then you can just really go for the for the gut, right? Like,
1: Yeah, that's that's totally... Can I, can I tell you something that's been a problem in my teaching lately? Please. I, when I started teaching, I started as an adjunct yeah. um, at Missouri State University. Shout out to Missouri State people out there. <laughs> I, I was like, I traded in humor just hardcore. Yeah. Like, it was really good. Mm-hmm. And I've just gotten like... I've either gotten less funny throughout the years or I just don't make jokes anymore. And I don't mm. know why. Like, I've just stopped joking with students. I've stopped making jokes in class. Like I think part of it is like feeling like maybe like I'm getting a little older and there's a disconnect. Like I don't know even know what they'll think is funny and I make jokes and then if people don't laugh, I'm like, okay, forget it. I'm never doing that again.
0: Oh, yeah. Or it's like I've
1: just lost touch. Like, I don't know. Or it seems like I don't want to be that professor who's, like, trying so hard to, like, make jokes, you know? like And another thing I've experienced, too, is, like, you do jokes and you kind of lose the room. Because then people just start talking to each other and they perceive the environment as less than serious.
0: Well, I think it depends. Um, In some cases... I think humor is essential. Like, if you're going to talk about something that's, like, super serious, right. sometimes people need a little bit of, of a release. You need
1: a break, yeah. From yeah.
0: That, totally. um, it, but... I mean, I've been in a scenario where, like, I guess it depends on how funny you are because I think I'm like moderately funny, mm. like funny enough to get people, oh, ha, 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 <laughs> but not like they're, they're not going to fall out of their chair right. laughing. My brother is that funny. He's, uh, he's pretty hilarious. Yeah, those who have yeah. the gift. Yeah. Okay.
1: Number 56, camp taste is a kind of love, love for human nature. It relishes rather than judges the little triumphs and awkward intensities of character. Camp taste identifies with what it is enjoying. People who share this sensibility are not laughing at the thing they label as a camp. They're enjoying it. Uh Camp is a tender feeling.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, one thing that stood out to me in that point was something about the little things, Mm. the little things in human experience. Mm -hmm. So um, just as a for example, and I won't give away any of the overarching plot. But there's, you know, in most seasons, it's like the world is going to end unless Buffy does something or other. And then, of course, you know, she saves the day. But there's one episode where I won't give anything away other than to say that there are a bunch of heroic young women living at Buffy's house, Mm. and they're tasked with this impossible task to save the world. But what they end up focusing time on in this one particular episode is the fact that they're fighting over the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. and so yes. like they're having yes. to like we gotta save the world but I'm mad that like someone is using my curling See, iron space th-
1: I, I think that that's that's the that's the that's the apolitical sort of point yeah. that's what takes it's almost like a kind of I think the, the literary term would be bathos like mm. it's like it's like there's something that's really serious and then there's like a comedic letdown Ovid's metamorphosis is, is yeah. full of bathos oh I love metamorphosis so, so it's these kind of like little comedic slights mm-hmm. which actually take the serious thing and make it You know, you realize that it's not about this like deeply political thing, but rather it's about young women and about the bathroom and about these insider jokes.
0: Oh. Like that would
1: be the camp element. That's the camp identity of the show, then.
0: Okay. I'm gonna float something by you just to see what you think about it because now I'm I'm interpreting something. I'm gonna see if we can make the story of the birth of Jesus camp for Mm. just a second. All right. So he's the savior of the world, right? Mm -hmm. But then I'm thinking about his lifetime. Uh, The the story of his birth in Luke Mm -hmm. where you have this story about a woman, an older woman who's barren, and then her husband gets this prophetic utterance that she's going to give birth, Mm -hmm. but he doubts, and so he's struck mute, Mm -hmm. and then he has to go out and announce to everyone that actually um, his wife is going to give birth to John the Baptist, Mm -hmm. but the scriptures say that he doesn't have, like, he can't say anything, so he uses sign language. Well, if you can imagine, like, trying to explain the fact, my wife, she's old, she's barren, but we're going to have a kid. Like, how do you sign language that? That's actually pretty funny. <laughs> that, yes. And even though it's a really serious story, right. I remember um, hearing Amy Jill talk about that once in, in one of her classes. Um, that is a moment, like it kind of breaks up this epic story mm-hmm. about divine savior, son of God, blah, blah, right, blah, blah. Right. But here's this hilarious story about yeah. a guy who's like trying to sign language. I don't know what he would sign language, but that'd be funny.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think of like other stories in the Bible that could qualify as like having this kind of comedic effect. Little
0: or break the book
1: of Jonah maybe
0: oh okay would
1: be like that yeah. That takes you know a serious topic like prophetic call and a major empire Assyria that people hated absolutely hated in the ancient world ah. they were like the Nazis of the ancient world okay. and so Jonah's asked to go there and he runs away and you're like oh he's running you know and I think this is used in churches like Often, I, I feel like I have this memory of the story of Jonah being used as like, don't run from the call of God right, right, because right. you're afraid oh, yeah. to do what God wants you to do. And, you know, the Assyrians were a mighty empire and he could be killed or skinned alive like the Assyrians right, would brag right. about doing in their iconography to those who they, whom they, you know, hated and whatever. But actually it ends up being like, he's kind of like an Assyrian racist.
0: Interesting. Like yeah. he doesn't
1: want, he wants them to die and he's afraid that God is too forgiving. But okay so what
0: about that story with the tree and stuff?
1: Yeah and then he's like and then he's happy about the tree but the tree dies and he's sad about the tree so there're comedic yeah. elements the the reason why I think some of these stories though fail the camp test of Susan Sontag's list is because they're deeply political stories. Like these are deeply serious sure. political stories. Like there's a there's a clear kind of bent there. Like it's about the content and she's saying that that the camp is not about the content. It's 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 purely yeah. about the style.
0: Well then maybe that maybe Buffy is not purely camp. Mm. Because I think that there's a fairly clear feminist... Mm. overarching mm. message. What about throughout. this?
1: She says, the, the last one, number 58, the ultimate camp statement. It's good because it's awful. Of course, one can't always say that, only under certain conditions.
0: <laughs> yeah. But
1: I think like the way that they show vampires, for example, like it's kind of like this, there's this awfulness to the hell scenes. Yeah. Like they're kind of plasticky and silly. Yeah. It's, it's funny and it's good because it's kind of so bad like it has, but it's like, you have to be bad in the right way in order yeah. for something to be good bad.
0: Well, I think that, um, and here I'm going to reference the companion series angel mm. um david boreanaz gets his own spin-off eventually the angel character mm. and one of the running gags in the show of angel is that there is this club where in order to get um i can't remember it's like in order to get a prophetic utterance you have to sing karaoke um and it's like this demon bar and there's this demon who makes you and so there are really there's a funny scene of david boreanaz singing um Mandy by um mm. what's his name?
1: By old if what's his you name? You want my
0: body. Anything of said, You know. Rob, Rod
1: Stewart. Oh, Rod Stewart. Mandy. Yeah, yeah, Rod Stewart. Isn't
0: that him, Mandy? Maybe. Anyway. But the song you were singing, gonna, yeah. the song
1: you were singing was Rod Stewart. Whether okay, it's called okay. Mandy, I don't know.
0: Oh, Mandy. You get, Okay, never mind. <laughs> um so anyway, but it's just so over the top and silly and yeah. awful and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I think that I would say that Buffy utilizes elements of camp, but would not be called like straight up camp. It's too serious sometimes. Right.
1: What about this what about this imagery of the vampire? I mean it's so yeah. I mean as in, in the horror monster fantasy genre the vampire is, you know is, r- remains popular of yes. course.
0: Yes. Um
1: the Twilight series was those were vampires, right?
0: Oh yes. And
1: you know so the I remember being in Barnes and Noble and feeling like something some strange thing had happened. I saw you know they have the genre titles in yes. Barnes and Noble bookstores. Bookstores will probably be totally extinct by the time people hear this podcast. Yep, but yep, you know they had they had these titles on top of the bookshelves. <laughs> And one was one genre title was Teen Paranormal Romance.
0: Oh yes. I thought, how can
1: you have a whole genre which is teen paranormal romance? Well, but there is. So the vampire's got
0: preteen girls, you're gonna find you, out.
1: You got it. So <laughs> why import the vampire into this genre of the teen paranormal romance? Like why why is the vampire an apt kind of character for thinking about teenage angst?
0: Well, I mean, why do you think?
1: I just asked you. You have to say. I know,
0: but but usually I respond right away, and I'm curious. Do you have a theory?
1: Uh, no, I I don't really have a theory. I don't, you know, I I don't know. I, I know that vampires are often associated in a lot of analysis of vampires with yeah. with sexuality of right. some kind,
0: like repressed desire, yeah, with
1: desire, or even like the kind of gender bending that vampires yeah. represent. Like they're kind of like they're they're often men, but they're kind of dressed like women in like these long kind of dresses and so oh, on. Yeah, and yeah. Even the wearing of of black. And so I started. I, I did a little bit of of just. Research a little bit of looking. I found this book called Why Buffy Matters. Yeah. Which is like, you know, apparently there's a lot of literature on on Buffy. Buffy. So here's something that maybe Buffy fans would identify with. Um, The author of this book, uh, Rhonda Wilcox, I think I'm reading that correctly. The Mm -hmm. font is really small here is what I'm reading. Um, In Buffy's world, I'm quoting from the book, the problems teenagers face become literal monsters. Internet predators Mm -hmm. are demons. Drink-doctoring frat boys have sold their souls for success in the business world. A girl who has sex with even the nicest seeming male discovers that he afterward becomes a monster. Um, And she basically says, the underlying the various threats is a repeated one. Okay, so she says this is the Buffy vampire theme. The horror of becoming a vampire often correlates with the dread of becoming an adult. And then points out that like the way that the show uses um, dialogue, like the dialogue of the teenagers is very different. The teen language has often been commented on, but mm-hmm. it's like very different. It contrasts starkly, this author says, with the language of the adults. And yes. so you have like this this horror of like becoming an adult. And like this idea that the vampiric moments are are often symbolically associated with a transition to adulthood or a fear of becoming an adult.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, just the the basic fear of death that teenagers don't seem to share with, um, you know, like teenagers are famous for doing things like joyriding and stuff Mm -hmm. like that, that we wouldn't. um, Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a really fair reading of Buffy. The character Buffy herself mm-hmm. doesn't ever really seem to know. She's kind of this liminal mm-hmm. character because every time she tries to do something normal, some sort of normal progression through young adulthood into adulthood, mm-hmm. she's stymied by her task as a slayer. So like she can't right. really make it through college because, you know, she's saving the world and whatnot. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that there's I think you could definitely argue that.
1: And about what up now? From another source, The Lure of the Vampire by Millie Williamson, mm-hmm. um, I think a little bit more of a recent book. Um, she's talking about, I think Millie's a she, I'm not sure, um, the author Williamson will just say. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's talking about the vampire in terms of, of like femininity and of women. Um, she says the implication of a preferable and emphasized femininity in historical dress may be conceived as a form of aggressive nostalgia for the past. But this is complicated by the ambiguity of the vampire figure with whom the women travel. She's talking about the romantic connotations. Yeah. The vampire simultaneously symbolizes the pathos and power of outsiderdom. It's a figure which expresses the despicable as well as the defiant, the shameful as well as the unashamed, the loathing of oddness as well as pride in it. It is it is through vampiric modes of the past that the women express ambivalence about the femininity and self. The vampire wow. offers a way for women to conceive of their identities as both not feminine and more feminine and leads to women questioning the very boundaries of gender and associated sexualities.
0: Hmm. Well, I would never make that general of a statement about, I, I think um, to me, so it's hard to, you can't analyze Buffy in a vacuum. Um, although Buffy was one of the, it, Buffy gave birth to many different vampire type stories, mm-hmm. and I think the the power of the stories is that um, it just depends on how you tell them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it depends on what the woman, what the female character is to the vampire. Mm-hmm. So the fun of Buffy is that she's this strong, physically strong, mm-hmm. like kick butt woman who is who vampires are scared of. Right. And that's where that it that is much different than, for example, Twilight mm-hmm. where it,
1: she becomes a vampire, right? She,
0: yeah, she does eventually, but uh in the very first book, she is like Repeatedly talked about, about how frail she is, mm-hmm. and the the book is told from her perspective, and she's just enthralled with this. When you think about it, it's super creepy because he's way older than her, like
1: by like hundreds of years. Yeah.
0: Well, I right? think this one is like a hundred. I can't remember. I think Edward's like a hundred years older, oh. but uh in it's Buffy, all about the looks, he's like two hundred years, but. Anyway. Yeah, but it kind of depends on what the female but so there's a, a bunch of different stories. Uh, mm-hmm. The Vampire Diaries ta- does this as well. Um, you we could go on. I actually think the show Supernatural has in, an interesting take on vampires. They're a little bit more scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends. I mean, like the the old movies, like the old Dracula movies, mm-hmm. I definitely think that that uh, analysis assume. applies well to it. So, it kind of yeah. depends on who's telling it.
1: That totally makes um,
0: sense. I want to know why. Like, I like to see a movie that or a show that actually makes the vampires a little bit scarier oh, than right. they Act than they typically are like when they're a romantic interest you can't make them that scary right yeah that's
1: right you gotta fall in love with them Yeah, they have to be Yeah, I get it I,
0: I want them kind of gruesome
1: so <laughs> Leah wants it gruesome
0: well um, the, there's a show I, I think it's called What We Do in the Shadows it's a movie oh yeah but yeah yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's a comedy that's funny so funny I've only seen clips yeah. of that It it's, was. Yeah. Wait, I've gotta watch that highly recommend so when I was doing when we were doing the Buffy watch party yes which was hilarious. And when I watched the pilot, (laughs) we were also live on Instagram in the moment and people, there was a group of maybe a dozen people who were watching me watch Buffy on Instagram, but they couldn't see the screen. (laughs) I don't know why people were watching me do that, but it was super hilarious and it enriched my experience tremendously somebody made a comment on there though that was really I thought was very yeah. fascinating this person just commented out of the blue and said oh because I made a joke because like in the pilot yeah. someone opens a locker and this body comes falling out
0: that's right and like
1: a lot of the violence that happens in the show happens in a high school right yes this person and I was joking about that like oh a body's falling out of a locker tell no me that big deal. tell me that keeps happening in the show and somebody commented and just said something like oh this was all pre-Columbine yeah. And I thought that, I thought that was a fascinating angle to think about whether this was what the commenter meant or not. Of just thinking about watching or re watching Buffy in the era of school shootings there were two school shootings just this week um, that know, we're recording this stuff.
0: Terrible.
1: There'll probably be two more like tomorrow. Ugh. Like it's just becoming crazy. And so the idea of watching this scene of a high school that is loaded with a kind of supernatural violence, Yes. it made me wonder about how we could think about, you know, rewatching or watching Buffy in the age of school shootings with, you know, this like good versus evil and bodies are falling out of lockers. And, and you know, people are, there's this trope now of people who are heroically dying to try to save their classmates oh, from shooters. Um,
0: like this- a very heroic young man that we've been seeing in the news. Yeah, um I, I, it's funny because I'm um, not funny, haha. It's it's um one thing. There there are many things about Buffy that don't really hold up over time like some mm. of the language um that has that
1: gets used. Like derogatory terms that we wouldn't yeah, use today casually. Yeah, that you and
0: I grew up using that yeah, yeah. we wouldn't use now. Um uh, some of the sexual norms and stuff that they show some, there are lots of different things, but I think that that one might be the most profound because at, at the time this was all like Buffy was making literal something that we thought of as metaphorical. Mm-hmm. Like that people, well, I mean, it's, like that and, you were
1: dying in high school, that high school sucks so bad that it was yeah, hell
0: that it's hellish and right. you're going to get killed in, in high school. Right. Well, it was before school shootings and also before, I think, the the kind of internet bullying epidemic that mm, we experienced. Right, so, right. a lot of the stuff, I mean, it it's it hits very close to home. And it, uh, I think next year or sometime in the near future, there's going to be a Buffy reboot. Mm. And I'm very curious to see oh, how they cover those things right. because some of the things that aren't metaphorical now, it'll be interesting to see.
1: I mean, seeing, seeing high school violence portrayed on screen, I think, feeds into what— I mean arguably is like one of these weird mystical taproots to the gun vi- this this whole phenomenon in high school yeah. which I don't know that I hear this theory as often as I feel like it should be floated culturally about why I mean this is the question of our era is like why this high school violence mm-hmm. I this is my personal take take it for what you will but like I, you know, I think the kind of gun answers to this, either pro-gun or anti-gun, are both off-base. Like, yeah, it'd be great if people didn't have so many guns. And, you know, I'm sure all those political solutions still need to be done. But, like, you know, arming teachers and stuff seems not to be a good solution. Oh. It's like throwing fire on a yeah, fire to no. put out the fire. Yeah. But, you know, just merely banning certain kinds of guns, I don't know. I do think, though, that the high school shooting thing could be analyzed almost like a kind of— I don't know, almost like a game that people are playing. Hmm. Like it's like it, it's like a it's like an imitative game that's happening, and it's it's a very particular demographic of white, ma- mostly almost exclusively white right. males yeah. are playing a kind of media game. It's very self referential. Oh, and so yes, it, it, it's like a, it's a phenomenon that feeds on itself. Like the young, disaffected white male sees a news story or some kind of media depiction of another white male doing this, and sees a kind of almost like a club, like the Tide Pod Challenge, but almost like on like gone nuclear.
0: Well, and I think one one thing that is terrifying, and I think that it's back, almost
1: worse, right? Because you the, can't solve it.
0: Well, back to the back to your point about um, you know th- this idea that. There's some sort of um, trying to escape, like death or mm-hmm. age. I, I don't know. Like the, the these young people seem, seem in part to be seeking a, a kind of immortality. Right. Um, one of the wisest things that I thought the woman from the Prime Minister of New Zealand did was not say the name of the n- man who right um, in in their ter- like tragic shooting. Oh man, it's just hard to talk about. Um, but. I don't know where this conversation will go politically, but one thing that has been of interest to me is that I heard a statistic that said that for younger millennials, it is the most important political issue. Like, it is it is their voting issue. Wow. And when you think about the world that they grew up in, because you and I grew up without... I mean, Columbine was when I was in college. Yeah, the,
1: my freshman year in college yeah. was And thing. it was
0: terrifying, but... Um, I just didn't grow up like fearing for my life in that way. Mm-hmm. And so you can see why it is one of the most important political issues. So, however, um, we move forward like, politically with that, I think that um, the future, future generations, it's on their minds.
1: Hey, thanks for listening, weirdos.
0: We love all our weirdos, near and far.
1: For extras and extra nerdy Easter eggs on subjects covered in this episode, don't forget to click on the hyperlinks in each episode's description on our website, weirdreligion.com.
0: And join our social media conversations about religion and pop culture on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Weird Religion.
1: And we're YouTubing now, so find us on YouTube. YouTube us. (laughs) No.
0: (laughs) These episodes were produced at Stone Bear Studios, engineered by Luke DiLorenzo, and executive produced by Troy. Well,
1: Our theme music is by Cassie Blum and our album artwork by John Williams. A
0: special shout out to Portland Seminary for sponsoring the season and to Trigger the Studio Dog.
1: When you podcast, podcast with us. Bye.